0: If you could have dinner tonight in any location, where would it be? Maybe you'd pick a setting like that. Some of you would say, I would love dinner for two. Some of you might say, I would love dinner for one. (laughs) So overwhelmed right now, just a quiet meal, without interruption, nobody crying from the corners of the house, mommy, come rescue, daddy. What's bad is when mommy's hearing from daddy, you know, to be rescued. Uh, That's difficult. Maybe you would say, Oh, I, I would I would want it to be a bigger table. And I can think of a number of people that I would love to just enjoy it, uh at that mealtime together. Some of you would say, just give me in and out. <laughs> That's where your mind is going right now. And if you could have dinner in any setting tonight, who would be there? Who would you choose to share that meal with? Would it be somebody that's special to you, somebody that you just haven't seen for a long time? You know, it is interesting to me that although our culture frequently uh, looks at mealtime just more as refueling for that next segment of life, uh, there are often those special occasions that we recognize uh, need to be enjoyed around a table that's filled up with good food. And I'm thankful that we are created by a God who is uh, a god of the aesthetic, who is a god of the beautiful, who is the God who created all these marvelous flavors that we enjoyed. He could have just made uh, a caloric fuel supply, knowing that every human being needs, you know, 2,000 or 3,000 or whatever you know activity he requires, and, and basically, like, you stop by the, the fuel pump and get. Your, your body refueled to go again. But he actually has done something very marvelous in creating foods of all kinds and all flavors for us, recognizing that there's pleasure in it. And when that pleasure of, of being at a table with good food is combined with really good relationships, there just aren't experiences that match that, are there? I think it's appropriate that we begin a little bit of our, our thought and meditation coming to the Lord's table, thinking about settings like this. Some of you may have been at a a banquet or a feast, a wedding reception, as this picture depicts. The people aren't there, the the bride and groom, the guests haven't assembled. But you look at that, and and that's attractive for many reasons, isn't it? The size of of the room and the size of the table says there are going to be a lot of people here. There's something about the, the lights and the decorations that says this looks like it will be a happy occasion, a festive setting. There will probably be Lots of loud and happy conversation. And while there are no uh, speakers or instruments that are visible, uh, if it's a wedding reception, there's going to be celebratory music. I mean, all kinds of things about that picture that become very attractive to us. And I don't think it's just a mere consequence that the Lord speaks of this time of communion as his table. That's one of the ways the scriptures refers to this time of God's people coming together with bread and with a cup. It's uh, a, a time that we enjoy for many different reasons, which we'll get there for just a moment. But it is, first and foremost, a table. A table where there's really significant food for us to enjoy because there's spiritual truth that lies underneath this bread and this cup. And there's also a relationship that's unparalleled. A relationship waiting for you at this table. We want to look very briefly in the next few minutes before we come to the table at five purposes for the Lord's table that we can find in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. And if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn there, you can go to page 957 if you're using one of those Bibles that's provided in the chair rack. They're kind of scattered out through the auditorium. We realized last week that uh, we need to buy some more of those people are taking us up on the offer to take a copy of the bible with them And that's a good thing But it also means that there might not be as many available for you this morning But we do want you to follow along in a copy of the scripture So whether you brought your own or you want to borrow one of ours or you want to use one of ours and then take it with you And make it your own. That's great This particular portion of scripture is found on page 957 in first corinthians chapter 10 the apostle paul is addressing some of the Worship practices of the early Saints the Saints who met in Corinth in the first century Matt preached a great message on this a few weeks ago as part of our one another series The particular one another command that comes in chapter 11 is you need to wait for one another out of love and respect and honor and people Were turning the Lord's table into something really ugly Just had totally divested it of its spiritual significance. Some had turned it actually into a drunken feast a gluttonous, drunken feast, and others were being neglected. And what should have been a powerful moment of fellowship for the people of God had become something very ugly. Now, the first purpose, as you can see uh, from the passage of Scripture uh, that, that's on the screen and the heading over that is participation in Christ's blessing. Read 1 Corinthians ten sixteen: The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And I've underlined that word participation. It occurs twice in this, in this passage. What do we mean participation? I mean, we're not saying, are we, that this bread actually turns into the body of Jesus when we share it in a moment. No, it's not that kind of participation. I mean, we're not saying that this cup that, that, in our case, is filled with grape juice is going to turn into the actual blood of Jesus when we take it, are we? No, we're not saying that either. But we are saying that our participation with this bread and this cup has a spiritual significance that says we are people who, first of all, participate with or fellowship, that'd be another word you could use. We fellowship with Jesus personally, and we fellowship with one another as those who are putting their faith in Jesus. And I use that particular verb tense, putting our faith in Jesus, because while we can look back Many of us and say, there was a time where I put my faith in Jesus Christ. You didn't do it one time and stop doing it on that day. No, you may have begun to put your faith in Jesus on that day, and then the next day you were putting your faith in Jesus, putting your faith, putting your faith, putting your faith, believing, believing, believing. It's a continual act of our souls, isn't it? So this participation is is something where really what we are saying, even at the Lord's table, is yes. We are trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse our sins. Yes, we are trusting in his broken body as our source of salvation. It's participation in Christ's blessing. Now look again at verse 16 with me and go back to the very first four words, the cup of blessing. And I I want you to think on this for just a moment. That word blessing means to distinguish with favor. And this cup of blessing actually stands in contrast to another cup that is referred to in the scriptures, the cup of wrath. It's found in some Old Testament passages where the Old Testament prophets, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, were warning people who were rebellious against God, if you persist in this rebellion, there is a cup of wrath that's being mixed. And the analogy is really clear when you start to talk about wine and the process of fermentation and 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 things that went into that particular process and it culminates in the book of revelation where at the end of the age god's cup of wrath is poured out and spiritually speaking those who have been rebellious against him are actually forced to drink that cup it it is a it is a an awful picture for us i love what One pastor writes in a very helpful devotional book titled A Gospel Primer for Christians. He writes, The gospel reminds me that what I actually deserve from God is a full cup churning with the torments of His wrath. This is the cup that would be mine to drink if I were given what I deserve each day. With this understanding in mind, I see that to be handed a completely empty cup from God would be cause enough for infinite gratitude. Did you catch that? He's saying, just even if God emptied the cup of wrath and said, I'm not giving that to you, here's an empty cup. I mean, that would be cause for us to go, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If there were merely the tiniest drop of blessing contained in that otherwise empty cup, I should be blown away by the unbelievable kindness of God toward me. But do you know something? God's cup of blessing doesn't just have a drop of blessing it's filled with some of the very things we read of in, in Ephesians 1 at the outset of the service. Filled to overflowing. Psalm 23, when the Lord anoints your head with oil, uh, that is a blessing in and of itself. And then the psalmist writes, my cup overflows. So how do we, as people who actually deserve the wrath of God, move from that state where that cup has been poured out, Jesus took all of them, all of it on himself, we don't get just an empty cup as if he just kind of Brought us back to zero. But now he offers a cup of blessing. It's pure grace. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's not that God said, oh, you know, these are really good people. I'm going to do something nice for them. No, he said, these are the people I've rescued. These are the people that Jesus shed his blood to cleanse. Jesus drank the cup of wrath. He didn't leave anything in that cup for us. And now God fills this cup of blessing. That's the power of this symbolism that we're about to participate in this morning. So by faith, we believe that the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus give us life. So we're participating. Here's the second thought. Separation from our sin. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10. Now look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You know, I think if uh, you meditate on that, those are pretty stark contrasts, aren't they? Most of us don't think on a daily basis that I have an opportunity to be in fellowship with the Lord Jesus or fellowship with demons. We we don't often think about the powers of darkness. But I think if you have any spiritual awareness, you know that there are forces at work in our world and there are forces at work in this valley that are very dark and strong, demonic. And the context of 1 Corinthians 10, as Paul is writing, in, in Corinth there was all kinds of idolatry, and there were temples that were set up actually in worship of demons. So yeah, there's a literal sense where some of these people would have tried to hang on to some of their old traditions, and they may not have said overtly, oh, I still want to worship demons, but those ceremonies were designed uh, with that intent. And Paul is saying that's a great contradiction. I mean, to come to the table and say, oh, we love Jesus, we're trusting in his life and death and resurrection for our salvation, and at the same time be worshiping other gods or worshiping other forces of darkness, as these as these demons would be. It's a great contradiction. Turn over one more chapter, First Corinthians 11 verses 28 and 29. This this again is why Paul says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And again, I don't want to re-preach all of Matt's message. He did such a great job of reminding us that part of what's happening at the, the Lord's table is that you're invited to participate with others. So when he talks about discerning the body, he means you have to come with an awareness of, of the people who are at the Lord's table with you. It's not just you and Jesus having dinner for two. Not the Lord's table. At the same time, we examine ourselves to make sure not, not only that we are... Are in right relationship with the people around us, but we're examining ourselves for anything that would break fellowship with God and break fellowship with the people around us. Now, the beautiful thing is, as you begin to examine your heart, if, if the Holy Spirit impresses you that there's some particular sin there, some particular shortcoming, you've broken His law, you haven't kept the law, well, you simply confess that to Him and say, God, forgive me. I should have, but I didn't, or I should not have but I did. You don't have to wait a certain number of days. He doesn't put you on spiritual probation. He doesn't say, go out and you know, do 17 good things to outweigh the 16 bad things that you did over the weekend. No, he wants you to be in right relationship, and so he invites you to confess your sins. He does the cleansing. He does the forgiving, and you press on in faith. But it is important for us to examine ourselves. I was thinking back to uh the, the images that Matt used in his sermon I know some of you aren't here but he used he, he used an image uh a fa- very famous Norman Rockwell painting I think it was of a Thanksgiving dinner maybe Christmas but you know it's it's just it's so idyllic that all of us look at it but Matt then very quickly put a uh, a cartoon picture on the screen uh and who are the cartoon characters in that do you remember Sorry. not to put you on the spot anybody else remember who they were they're kind of classic characters Yeah, but you know it's just it's it's just bedlam at the table. You know, little kids throwing food, and you know, mom and dad certainly aren't in you know the same position. And and compared to the Norman Rockwell painting, you know, Matt made a good point that that's probably more like most of our homes than what Rockwell captured. But I was thinking back on that, and and in many ways, as Matt reminded us, the First Corinthians 11 scene was rather ugly. And yet, what the Lord desires to do is is to invite us to a table that He has prepared personally and carefully. And as He invites us, that we should be reminded all of us occupy, occupy a seat at His table by divine privilege. It's not your right or my right to be here today, it's by the kindness of Jesus Christ. That guards us from coming in pride, pride of performance. You know, I've been on a roll, spiritually speaking. I've had my devotions every day. I think I've been doing a good job of keeping the Ten Commandments. You know, I've been faithful in church attendance. And we kind of, you know, check all of this, and God's just not impressed. He doesn't offer you a better seat because you had a better week than somebody who really wiped out this week. No, he says, come to my table. Drinking in the cup of the Lord is intended to be a declaration of our shared repentance and our shared faith. So as we examine ourselves, we realize not only that we are personally in need of Christ's saving work, but that we're also in the company of others who have the same need. All of us come humbly. All of us come actively separating from our sin. Here's a third purpose. It's a commemoration of Christ's sacrifice. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, verses 24 and 25. Paul is recounting what the Lord himself had taught him. When he had given thanks, that is, Jesus he broke that bread and said to his disciples, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so that remembering is a very important thing that we're gonna do at this table. We're gonna remember that Jesus Christ suffered horrifically so that we might never suffer. He shed his blood that we might be forgiven and cleansed all of our sins and not have to try to work out some kind of repayment plan with God because you could never do it. So it's a special time of remembrance, a time of looking back. Our remembrance ought to stir gratitude and worship. It ought to stir our hearts with love and a sense of of desire for service. It's all part of commemoration. Then a fourth purpose. It's also proclamation. It is a proclamation of Christ's death. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Think about what Paul is saying. Do you know that, I, I say this for the encouragement of some of you who say, oh, I really do love Jesus, and I have a desire to tell other people about his life and his death and his resurrection, but it's really hard. Do you know this is one opportunity you have you come together with others, and we really are proclaiming the gospel in this place. Sometimes it's good to have some assistance, isn't it? It strengthens our heart and encourages us. And you say, I could never go you know, out into the community just all by myself. And that's just an overwhelming thought. I could maybe go with a group of people. But you know, even here today, we who are followers of Jesus are making an open proclamation concerning the Lord's death. We're saying it's the only way of salvation, and we believe it. What a privilege. What an opportunity. One author writes, the Lord's Supper heralds the essential proclamation of all time. There's no more important news in the age of history. And what is that proclamation? That the death of Christ has made atonement for sinners. Is there a more joyful message to be found? Is there other news that should be sounded higher or remembered with more esteem? Is anything else nearly as significant or momentous? Let us remember his death and let us proclaim it until he comes. This is the core of the gospel. It is the gospel. Take Christ crucified out of the gospel message and it ceases to be the gospel. So this is a time of remembrance for us, but it is a time of proclamation. Here's the fifth purpose, anticipation of Christ's return. In that same verse, after saying that we proclaim the Lord's death, that last little phrase, until he comes, is so beautiful. And and I cannot help but savor this thought in my soul. Now, why would I say that? For several reasons. Not only because Jesus has promised that he would return, but do you know that back in the Gospels, There are also some words of jesus that are captured in matthew in mark and also in luke's account of the last supper Where jesus speaks in that same context of of sharing that first Lord's supper with his disciples or that first lord's table He actually says to them and listen to the words of matthew. I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you In my father's kingdom You see, it's not just that Jesus has promised to return and make life better for us and and finally take care of all the evil and sin and bad stuff in the world. It's not just that he's promised to create a new heavens and a new earth. It's not even that he's just promised to prepare a place for his followers in his father's house, as he describes in John. But he is preparing for a moment when he will sit down at this table with all of his beloved followers, all of his family, and he will celebrate. And until that moment, if you really look at these words, he says very plainly, I will not drink again. It's a self-imposed fast that the Lord of heaven and earth has taken upon himself saying, I I can't drink a cup of this wine and celebrate like I really want to when I'm not with you. How much does the Savior long to be with people like us that he would say, I'm not going to have any celebratory beverage until we're all together. And I drink it new with you in the kingdom. Again, how much does Jesus love us? I love my wife. We just celebrated an anniversary this week. I don't know that I've ever actually given up food because I've missed you so much. (laughs) Have you? Yeah. See? So we're both good. We're both on equal footing there. Equal opportunity offenders right here. But the Lord's love for us just overflows in this unexpected way. I, I, I want to be respectful of the Lord, and I'm not even sure that he needs to eat every day right now. But one thing I know he's not enjoying would be the fruit of the vine, as he says there. Does he just drink water? I'm sure he doesn't drink Mountain Dew. That's terrible for you, you know. (laughs) Jonathan Griggs was telling me a little family stuff. He'll have to tell you about that on his own. It's not Jonathan who's a Mountain Dew person, but someone very dear to him. The Lord Jesus so longs to be with us again that he says this and is still doing it. Will that not be an awesome day when we gather at his table? And I don't know what his banquet table will look like. That little room and that little table setting, just, it's not even close to being big enough, is it? Even that picture isn't bright enough there's a feast table in heaven and this little table right here is just a little symbol just just kind of like a little kind of pitiful reminder in many ways of what awaits the people of God but aren't you glad we have this little pitiful table because in one sense Jesus himself prepared this for us I don't mean he came to church today I mean we we had just human hands doing this But when we take the bread and the cup in just a moment, it's a reminder to us, first of all, there's a real Savior who lived and died and rose again, who even now is preparing a place, who is preparing a feast table. And and whatever wine he's got in process right now, it's going to be the best stuff any person ever put to their lips. And when he raises that cup in celebration of his triumph and he drinks with us, as he indicated here in Matthew 26, I mean, that's going to be a moment where You're just going to be exploding from the inside out. But for now, we have a little appetizer, as it were. And when you take this bread in your hand in just a moment, and and we'll share a little piece of bread symbolizing the broken body of Christ. Remember, as he said, his death for you, but also anticipate what's coming. And when you take this little plastic cup with Welch's grape juice in it, just so you know exactly what it is, remember the blood that he shed so that you you and I could be forgiven today, but anticipate what's coming. Because it's good then. It's good now. It's good then. Let's pray together for just a moment. Father, Our desire is to give honor to Jesus. Our sins are forgiven because he shed his blood. Our place at his table is secure because he was just so brutalized. We are united to him in everlasting union because he was forsaken by you on the cross we celebrate the the bounty of our salvation today with these symbols of his broken body and his shed blood. But Oh, there's a great day coming where we will celebrate the bounty of his salvation in heaven, in his presence. I'm mindful, Lord, that there may be friends or family members, guests who are here with us today who who are not in right relationship with you. Would you just open to them the the beauty and power of the gospel, the hope that can be theirs and the forgiveness of sins that you offer so freely. We would not want anyone to be excluded from this table because of sin. So we ask that by your spirit, you would lead into right relationship. We come to your table confessing that our our sins are many. Would you cleanse us right now? Wash us of every impure thought. Wash us of every impure motive. Just clean our our souls, even of the wicked words that we have spoken. Those words are an evidence of what's in our hearts. Clean our hearts right now, Lord. We want to come and participate in full confidence, drawing near in full assurance, as the writer of Hebrews says, because of all that you have done. So we come to your table to participate with Christ and with one another. We come to your table to continue repenting and separating from everything that's sinful. We come to your table in joyful, humble remembrance of all that you've done to secure our salvation. And we come to this table that we may proclaim your death until you come. And we come in hopeful anticipation of a great table We'll sit at one day. Thank you for all of this. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray this. Amen.